and welcome back to another episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcherson. With me, as always, is my co-host, Adam Simon. Adam, how are you doing? Doing great. Uh, glad to have not just come back from Vegas. Uh, not having a six-hour flight back from uh, Vegas felt pretty nice this weekend. Yep. Um, but this week, we have a very special episode. It is the beginning of the year, and as we always do, uh, we'll be talking about our new Outlook. So this year, it is titled Outlook 2021 Forward Momentum. But Adam, this Outlook's a little bit different than previous years. So do you just want to give us a little background on how this Outlook came together uh, and what's a little bit different uh, compared to previous Outlooks? Yeah, so we always look three to five years into the future. We look at what's happening now and look at how um, changing consumer behaviors are going to become more mainstream three to five years into the future. Uh, and we're going to do that this year. We definitely did. But uh, we also felt like we needed to back up a little bit and mm -hmm. not just jump into the future, but actually, <laughs> actually talk through how we get from where we are today in 2021 to mm -hmm. those future focus trends in, you know, mid, mid decade. Uh, because, uh, I, I think that there's actually a lot more, uh, agreement on where we'll be three to five years in the future than there is what the next one to two years is going to look like, uh, because right. of the, of the pandemic, of course. So I think, you know, we wanted to obviously talk about where we're, where we're going, but back up a little bit to help, help everyone understand how we're going to get there. Uh, because I think that how we're going to get there is, uh, again, the, the thing that uh, that is sort of the most contentious right now. Right. It has a lot of question marks um, around it. Yeah. How are we going to get to these trends that we're talking <laughs> about uh, in the second part of this episode? Um, what are those one or two main themes that uh, you've been thinking about uh, to get us there? So we titled the outlook this year Forward Momentum, which is uh, really about coming out of the pandemic. The pandemic, we talked about a lot as a trend accelerator, where it pulled forward uh, behaviors that were going to take uh, about three to five years to, to manifest, right? <laughs> we basically fast forwarded into the future already, um, which is interesting. If you, and that, that's true in terms of, um, largely in terms of adoption. That's what we mean when we talk about it accelerating trends and, and fast forwarding is that, uh, e-commerce adoption grew uh, by about 5%, where it had been growing about 1% year over year. So we sort of went five years into the future there. And that all happened in 2020. Um, our The the uh, cord cutting accelerated, right? Uh, the time spent you know, watching streaming television accelerated. Uh, the adoption of of, of uh, over-the-top streaming television accelerated. Um, uh, time spent with gaming. Yeah, gaming. gaming. Huge. <laughs> $1.9 billion for, uh, for Warzone. That's what they made last year. Yeah. So, so all of these things that we were saying, you know, a year ago were like, Hey, that's, you know, three to five years from now, this is what things are going to look like. They all ha started happening in 2020 very quickly. Um, and, and they really became those, those mainstream behaviors. So those things got pulled, pulled forward. And I think the, the central tension of, uh, the current moment, um, in, in thinking about consumer behavior and, and media and technology is really, what's going to happen on the other side of the pandemic? We mm -hmm. think there's going to be a split uh, in terms of uh, of what happens. And that's going to happen both here domestically in the US in, in some ways, and it's going to happen globally in different ways. Uh, but the split basically being that some consumers and some some folks will really lean into this acceleration of the pandemic and ride that forward momentum into the future. So for some folks, 
we'll have skipped five years and they're just going to keep going. And so 2025 will look more like what 2030 would have looked like in terms of their media behaviors and their technology adoption. Um, For other folks, they either can't or or won't want to do that and will be looking for uh, a sort of snap back to the way that things were. Um, and I think you can sort of see this if you if you look at general uh, analysis of what of, of the pandemic, obviously, um, the, you know, and, and what people are expecting later this year, early next mm-hmm. year is, you know, you see some people talking about leaning into the trends that have, have developed during the pandemic. And you see some people talking about, um, you know, oh, things will be, you know, 95% like they were as soon as we can get everybody vaccinated. And and, uh, and and open everything up and sort of be back to normal. Are there certain, I guess, maybe like categories or verticals or types of consumer behavior that we think people are going to lean more into or less into? Like, obviously, I think the one thing people think about is like, oh, like retail or going back outside. Like, I think that's just going to be like a natural human behavior that people are, are going to go back to. But it's going to be different. Well, I think this is the question. Retail as a whole is very complicated. There are certain categories, obviously, that incentivize in-person purchase versus not. Let's talk about a specific subcategory of retail. Let's talk about grocery for a second, right? Okay. A lot of people um, shifted their purchasing behavior to at least sometimes during the pandemic using online grocery shopping, right? That was a thing that was very uh, niche in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, before. But that is now under consideration. It, it's actively being used by a higher percentage of people, and it's under consideration for an even larger number of people. So that means that if uh, you know Walmart and Amazon want to lean into online grocery, they'll have an easier time continuing to upsell people into the future. Um, so I think that that's the you know that, that's the question: is how much do things snap back? And I think that that's going to vary widely by industry. Another sort of salient question about people leaving the house is uh, what's happening with movie theaters, right? Um, and and the theatrical window. That's something we've talked about a lot this year uh, or over the past year. Um, and I think we don't know the answer to that question. I think I, that one for me <laughs> is actually a lot harder to predict than what's happening with grocery because um, we don't have a good sense, I think, from consumers how much they value the theatrical experience versus seeing movies when they first come out, right? Which right. Um, I think that, that we will, over the course of, of the next year, get a good sense as to do people go to the movies because they like being in a theater with other people or do they just go because that's the only way to see you know the new marvel movie yeah yep yep that makes a lot of sense you mentioned like global scale as well it's gonna it's gonna vary between you know different markets and regions um why like like why is that like i guess what are the reasons for that kind of differentiation yeah. So here in the U.S., I think the split is it's largely going to be based on on, on economics. If you uh, have been uh, lucky enough to be able to work from home, you are probably going to be more inclined to sort of keep going with this forward momentum. And if you if you haven't, or if if, if you you know have a non white collar job, if you can't work from home for some reason, uh, like you're a teacher, uh, for example, who whose whose schools reopen, I think there's going to be a push to have things go back to the way they were. Um, I think for folks who weren't part of that cohort, it, there's there was sort of less 
upside to uh, to the pandemic. And I think that globally, the divide is going to be a little different. Countries like the US and places like Europe, where we haven't done well with the pandemic, where we've are still obviously right now, uh, parts of the US are, are sort of the, the hotspots uh, on, on the planet. Um, uh, that restriction is actually um, going to breed invention and that, that we will have had time to build these new habits and, and over the course of over a year. And that's going to ingrain them more in our lives those 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 new habits around media and and purchasing and technology whereas countries like china australia um who have done really well with the pandemic, they, they snapped out of it, right? Like our colleagues in Australia, their offices have been open for a while now. And um, they went back to to normal life very quickly. So for them, it was more of a blip. It was more of a here's a weird thing that we did for a few months. And now we're back, right? And that is going to encourage their behavior to go back to normal. Um, so I th- or go back to the way it was before. And I think that that is uh, globally, the divide is is actually that there might be a silver lining in that the countries that were hardest hit by the pandemic might actually have more forward momentum coming out of it into more sort of progressive consumer behaviors. Um, and we've seen things like this happen before. This, this actually is, it tends to happen historically that different cultures leapfrog each other with technology adoption. Um, and this might be the thing that gets Western countries basically leapfrogging, uh, parts of Asia in terms of technology adoption and, and media behaviors. And so thinking about how we're going to be working going forward, this brings us right into our very first trend called the anywhere economy. So Adam, as we think about this this trend, uh, can you give us a little background on it? Yeah. So this is really about how uh, freedom of movement is going to start to change Um Post pandemic, uh, obviously, uh, the vast majority of us have been, uh, in one place. Even, even people who are leaving their homes for work, obviously, are not really traveling, uh, at the moment. Um, and part of this is going to be that pent up demand. Um, but part of it is also the newfound flexibility, uh, as regards to work. All right. Um, so if you have been working from home, a lot of companies have been forced to, uh, to obviously grapple with that and figure it out. And it's, it's not mm-hmm. that we had new technology. The technology to do this has been around for uh, a long time. Very few people had been, uh, had actually been working from home, working remotely, even, even like one day a week. That number is very low. We've, se- I've seen statistics all over the place, but it was, uh, definitely l- in the five to seven percent of, of the workforce range in the U.S. was, was working remotely at least some of the time. Um, going forward, I think that number is going to be a, a lot higher. Um, the estimates that I've seen from McKinsey say that about 25% of the workforce can work remotely. And we, we've seen lots of numbers all over the place as to how many people are doing it right now. But that, that sounds probably about right. You know, 25% uh, working remotely some of the time is going to change a lot of uh, a lot of how we work, a lot of our media behaviors, a lot of how we are our retail behaviors and how we shop. Um, a lot of that stuff is going to change when you're not commuting into an office. Even if you take one, even if you take people out of the office one day a week, if you think about major city hubs like Midtown Manhattan, where our office is, uh, how does that affect the you know restaurants and stores in that area, right? I think they obviously coming out of the pandemic, a lot of them have lost that foot traffic already. Um, but even going forward, does it make sense to have as much 
as much retail space, as much, uh, as much restaurant space in midtown Manhattan. If there are people, you know, only going into the office four days a week. And then what happens if it's three days a week? And there is a little bit of a compounding effect there too of if there are less good options for food and shopping, does that just encourage you to not go into the office as much, right? <laughs> um, and I think that there there could be a little bit of a snowballing effect there. There are some industries like like Twitter, for example, has said that all employees will be free to work remotely on a permanent basis. Um, uh, other tech companies, I think, are heading in that direction in in some ways. I don't think most industries will go that way, but I think there will be a lot more flexibility, and that might look like one or two days a week uh, for some industries. Or I think the more almost more interesting thing is what if you're you are in the office most of the time, uh, but you are uh, in the summers. You work remotely from uh, from someplace that has a beach or has a lake, or uh, you maybe in the winter if you are a skier, beach you want to go ups. work from <laughs> from you know next to the ski slopes. This is something that's been happening for a long time. That blending of of work and social life and and personal life and vacations has been happening for a long time. Uh, and I think that coming out of this, we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of folks take these extended vacations where they might be away from wherever they call home for uh you know a, a month, two months, three months at a time, but they're still working and they're still maintaining their same jobs. The other side of that is that we are going to have some people who will go full digital nomad whose jobs will allow them to uh to to work remotely permanently. Um and uh I think that that is something that is going to be a lot easier to convince a lot more employers to do now than it would have been a year ago, right? Um, just not having not had that experience. Yeah. And it's interesting too, right? Like even like different parts of the region and globe are putting systems in place to allow or support that type of work. Like we know Hawaii, for example, throughout the entire pandemic or part of the pandemic offered a work, a kind of like a, a co-working program where you would come to Hawaii, they would pay for your flight, but then you had to do a month's work of community work or community service to, you know, essentially pay Hawaii back for getting you out there. Then there are programs like Estonia's E uh, residency program that is trying to bring digital businesses to essentially incorporate digitally in Estonia. So to kind of take advantage of their labor pool, their tax policies, um, and make a hub into Europe, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. So there, there's a couple of things to unpack there. One is this idea of uh, basically the, the only reason that remote work from other locations is complicated is taxes, because all of our tax codes have this frankly, incredibly outdated idea at this point <laughs> that that where you are physically working has something to do with the work that you actually perform, which as we now know for, I don't let for maybe 25% of the US is not true. Um, and, uh, I think that it's obviously going to take a long time to, to modernize our tax code, uh, to, to sort that out, but it's happening at the state level where states like Hawaii are looking at that. It's happening globally. There are about 16 countries that now have special visas for remote working. Um, I think that coming out of the pandemic, there's going to be a boom of, uh, of destination marketing saying, you know, come here, live here, work here. Uh, uh, you know, even if it's for just a few months in the summer, because we want your, we want you spending here. So, uh, work, keep your job, but spend here. Um, and I think we're going to see an explosion of new options there, um, on, on, on the, the destination side as countries see the opportunity there. And, you know, some of them obviously will try to get you to eventually to work for their companies too. But, uh, I think there, the, there will be that sort of big boom as this 
a concept of digital nomad suddenly goes from a very tiny number of people to uh, potentially a large bucket. Um, and then there's the e-residency thing. This is even further sort of future focused. Um, Estonia has been doing this uh, since uh, I believe 2014. Um, it's it's uh, um, a program that lets you establish a, a business and a business in Estonia without ever setting foot in Estonia. Um, it is designed to give you access to the European single market, and it is designed to have you pay taxes to Estonia. Talking about modernizing tax code, do they realize perhaps collect taxes from more of more people if they had <laughs> these virtual these you know sort of online focused businesses running in Estonia? This has been very successful for them, and uh, because of the pandemic, uh, it obviously it's been going for a few years, super successful because of the pandemic. Um, as of uh, uh, last fall, um, there are now 20 additional countries that are lining up to launch similar programs, including Japan, Singapore, Brazil, South Africa, Thailand. Uh, there's this is sort of the forefront, I think, of uh, of, of governmental thinking about mm-hmm. um, how to how to leverage sort of a global audience uh, online. Um, and uh, it'll be super interesting to see how it plays out. But they're, they're going beyond the, the remote work thing to just, again, to why does, does location matter at all? <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. And so if we distill this down to what this means for brands, um, I, I'm going to go back to what I was saying previously, where there's just so many different assumptions up for grab on how we're going to work, where we're going to work, how we're going to use offices, if we're going to be in offices and where those offices could even be, right? And so I think that does has a great impact on just where marketers are going to place advertisements on what type of platforms at what types of day and what types of medium. Um, All of that I think is going to change um, to better suit how we're going to be living going going forward. I I think it is largely that one assumptions are breaking down about your location or your, the time of, obviously the time of day is something we've been talking about for a long time. Um, but also location sort of mattering in terms of being able to, uh, to, for, 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 to reach you using media, um, and what your media behaviors might be. All those assumptions are sort of flying out the window. Um, and the other thing is that the tools to support this, I can be anywhere doing anything, uh, behavior are going to be their own media channels. Um, and they're pretty, they're pretty rudimentary right now, but they will be, uh, accelerated and invested in a lot coming out of the pandemic. And right now that is very focused on, will be very focused in, in the next few years on white collar workers, but there are also efforts to bring that to other industries and to um to what we call deskless workers people who 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 spend most of their work day not looking at a computer um so what we're, we're, we're where we are seeing developments there right now is in things like healthcare workers uh and things like uh film production where we have companies like Microsoft and Netflix developing special applications designed for mobile um also starting to integrate wearable devices like um you know Apple watches or AirPods uh into their into their platform forms to be able to have these media and communication channels for people who are maybe not uh, looking at a computer all day. And yes, those things will be designed at first for work, but I think they will expand into more general purpose media channels over the course of the decade so that, you know, in the second half after in 2025 and later in the second half of the decade, we might start to see um, new interesting new media channels and ways to reach people who spend most of their day not looking at a computer. 
Right. That's interesting to think about, right? Like this idea of, you know, productivity apps or tools um, as as media channels, because it's not going to be just like turnkey media opportunities in in my head as the way we know them. It's not going to be placed in a banner ad onto a digital publisher like Thrillist. It's going to be a bit more integrated, a bit maybe a bit more complex and a bit more custom. Um, but that extra work, I feel like, is going to pay off uh, in spades as a, as a more impactful advertisement. Yeah, I mean, I think we we at, at CES last week we talked to you. You talked to uh, to uh, Dennis Crawley from Foursquare and what they're yes, doing with with Marsbot Audio. I think that that points to the direction of you know sort of how we're thinking about it. And you can like right now, there's not a turnkey opportunity for for marketing there, but you can imagine how there would be um, because mm-hmm. it is in in some ways sort of a an AI powered smarter version of Yelp. Uh, so you can imagine where the, the opportunities are in there. Um, I, I think that, you know, we will get to turnkey opportunities in those spaces. It's just as with everything else, as it's still emerging, those opportunities are still a little amorphous and we have to think a little harder, work a little harder on, on how to activate. Absolutely. Well, with that, I want to bring us into our second trend uh, and the last trend for for this episode titled Gaming Eats the World. Now, Adam, this is a very clever title uh, for our listeners that may or may not know. Uh, can you give them the background of where this title came from uh, and what this section is all about? Yeah. So 10 years ago, um, venture capitalist uh, Mark Andreessen uh, published an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, that said that software is eating the world. Uh, and his his premise, which I think has been proven largely correct, is that <laughs> very true. <laughs> is that software and specifically Silicon Valley will uh, will transform pretty much every industry. And that's really guided Silicon Valley investment. Uh, that's how VCs, I think, started justifying moving outside of software and hardware companies into other categories. Um, and, uh, it, you know, companies that were in, in some ways, you know, we, we can say that every company is a technology company uh, these days. And I think that that's only going to be more true over time. Um, so, yeah, that that's where the, the, the title comes from. We went through this big transformation where uh, especially things like media and retail were, were changed by software and and uh, it, it's not it's not done. Uh, it doesn't stop. Um, <laughs> and uh, while we are still sort of in the middle phases of trying to modernize other industries. I'm thinking specifically of things like government, education, um, mobility, finance. finance. There's a lot of other industries that are still like on that journey and are not sort of mature digital businesses yet. Um, but while that's happening, while they're still sort of getting up to speed with our first generation of software eating the world, the second generation of software is coming for, for all those industries that, that have already transformed. Um, and that second wave is really based in the technologies of the gaming industry. Um, and there's lots of consumer and industry dynamics that play into why that is happening. Um, but I think it can, the, the, the simple answer is that, that gaming is always at the forefront of technology, um, in terms of, of pushing the boundaries of, of pretty much every aspect of, of software and hardware. And, uh, there, the people in the, in the gaming, people in the industry see an opportunity to level up our two dimensional screens and our two dimensional sort of view into commerce and search and social, uh, into a three dimensional space and that that will provide some, some benefits and, 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 and uh, some benefits to consumers and, and, and specifically benefits to themselves as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have to ask, given that our audience is a bunch of marketers uh, and media folks, it, this is different than this, like the idea of gamification, 
right? Oh, yes. Uh, good call out. Yes. We're not talking about gamification here. Gamification is sort of taking the strategies and tactics of games and putting them in places that are not games. Um, mm-hmm. in this case, we are, we are talking about gaming technologies. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, that, means things like gaming engines like unreal and unity um it mm-hmm. means things like gaming interfaces uh like vr and ar um and it uh it means things like like gaming companies <laughs> like like epic games and roblox uh being the ones who are building this sort of new layer on top of the internet um that it, the, the traditional two-dimensional web uh that is going to look and behave differently so if we think about the actual gaming software then, how is this being integrated into different industries? I believe one recent example we've seen was with Epic's Unreal Engine and GM. Uh, that, that's actually integrated. Epic has integrated their Unreal Engine to power the infotainment system inside of their new EV Hummer. Yeah, so there's there's a few industries that are already sort of deep into this. Um, the as you said, the, the new Hummer uh, was was modeled in Unreal Engine, um, and that that model uh, is something that that lives in the dashboard display itself and gives you a real time view of your vehicle. So you the the sort of normal two D uh, you know uh, line drawings of, of your car that might show up <laughs> on your dashboard uh, if you if it does even show up on your dashboard um, has been replaced by something that is sort of a rendered in Unreal um, in 3d and, uh, and very realistic looking. Um, and that sort of shifts and moves, uh, to, to show you the different conditions of the car and status of the vehicle as you're, as you're driving or as you're, you know, sort of looking at, uh, I guess, you know, reviewing for if, if you need maintenance or anything like that. Um, and that sort of real time view of the vehicle, it's interesting because that model obviously exists in the dashboard, but it, it's because it's, because it's created in Unreal, they can also use it in their marketing. Um, they can use it in their, uh, commercials. They can, they can make that asset even available to uh, to uh, users to include, you know, who knows, maybe, uh, you know, when the car actually launches, it'll show up in Fortnite, right? It's the same right. model that is being used across different platforms. Um, and, and that is sort of uh, a key to this, um, this strategy that, that Epic and Unreal are pursuing, which is about the idea of digital twins, where they're um, there are people, places, and things that have a, a digital version of themselves that uh, lives that can reflect their real world state, or it can do something totally different. Um, on the people side of things, we've we've seen this in Fortnite, um, where they've been importing, um, you know, companies like DC and Marvel and Star Wars. Um, we've seen this, we've seen this, uh, you know, sort of already developing with what they're doing with events inside of Fortnite. Right? We had DJ Marshmallow, and then we had Travis Scott. Uh, Last year, um, and the fact that that they've been building up the this soundstage to make it super easy for musicians to drop in and uh, do a motion capture performance live inside of Fortnite or imported into Fortnite. You know, they've got the people and the things, and then the, the third component of that is places. Uh, and Unreal Engine worked with the uh, city of Shanghai to develop a. Uh, digital twin of Shanghai that allows them to, that pulls in real time data like weather and traffic and then allows them to run simulations. So like what happens if we change, you know, the frequency that traffic lights change or what happens if we open up, you know, a new parking garage here or if we, you know, this road is under construction. What's that going to do to the traffic flow? Um, and 
that idea of the digital twin is uh, coming across industries um, and, and does have marketing implications because once you build that, uh, that digital twin, you can use it in uh, sort of infinite media places. Um, and that, that obviously can happen in 3D spaces like Fortnite. Um, but it can also be exported into, into 2D things, into commercials, into display ads. Um, you name it. There's a lot of options once you have that, that high quality 3D model built. Right. And so that's that's kind of seen how the the gaming software is being integrated into different industries and kind of powering those industries and uh, changing the ways in which uh, those those companies can work. But there's also the flip side of this, which is the the whole social aspect of of gaming and how that's been changing. Part of the reason why these platforms see the opportunity to expand beyond gaming is that for a few years now we have seen gaming really become a new social space. The The draw for the game is that it's, it is a place to hang out with your friends um, mm-hmm. and, and do something. It's the same as playing, you know, pick up basketball after work with your friends. Um, it's, it gives the, the fact that you're playing a game gives you something to do and something to talk about so that you're not just sitting there staring at each other. Um, and, <laughs> that which is it's a very human thing to to need something some sort of uh you know social lubricant the amount of attention and the amount of social activity happening in gaming is i think one of the keys to to why we're we're about to see gaming expand outside of that space um this is also why facebook bought back in 2014 facebook bought oculus they saw that this was coming um mm-hmm. and thus far they've not really created a great social experience uh on on the Oculus platform. Uh, they have Horizon, which is in beta. I think the Horizon's problem is that it doesn't have enough of a game or something else to do. Um, you do need <laughs> something to do. Um, <laughs> if I'm, uh, yeah, you do need something to do in that space. And I think that that's Horizon's problem right now, but, um, they see that threat, uh, and, uh, they, they see the opportunity, uh, to, you know, sort of own a larger piece of the platform. Um, mm-hmm. and, but they are going to be competing, with Epic, with Roblox, uh, you know, probably at some point with a, with a Nintendo platform. Nintendo is going to be late because they're always late, but uh, eventually they'll get there. Uh, you know, I think there, mm-hmm. there's there's going to be a lot of competition, and eventually a lot of those platforms will will start to interconnect and, and work together and talk to each other. So, uh, in the long run, they will all be available. Um, but it is it is seeing how much time people are spending in game for things that are not specifically gaming uh, that is unlocking this new opportunity. Well, Adam, you uh, name dropped a lot of companies there <laughs> from Epic Games to Unity to Facebook uh, that are really building in this space. Uh, and if you're looking to learn more about all of that and how they are doing that, you should definitely check out our Outlook uh, where we go a bit deeper into uh, what those companies are doing. But this brings us to our last bit of the conversation, what they're all building to. And that is this concept of the metaverse. Now, we've talked about this last year uh, in length and in depth. We had a whole episode on it, so you can definitely go check that out. Um, but how is this coming together in 2021 and, and beyond? Um, Adam, how are you thinking about this this space and the concept of the metaverse? Yeah, I mean, all of this is really leveling up to this idea of the metaverse, which is this three-dimensional interconnected layer uh, on top of the, of the what we think of as the internet today. Um, and the best way to think about it is if every website or app that you used was instead 
a three-dimensional gaming-like interface. It's not necessarily going to be a game um, because we are still going to need to do things that are not playing games. Like uh, Excel. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I look, I look, I don't think Excel is going to suddenly be more more captivating when it's in three dimensions. <laughs> um, but when if when you need to use Excel, your spreadsheet could be the size of your wall and it won't, uh, you'll be able to, to, to navigate it, right? It won't, it will, mm-hmm. you'll have a, a dis, an, an immersive display that will let you navigate that. Um, we are still going to need to do things like that, but there are advantages to putting, to placing things like traditional 2D things into three-dimensional space. It means an infinite display size. Aside from the, you know, actual like productivity, you know, aspect of it, what are some of those other you know implications for brands as we start to think about this trend of gaming eats the world? Uh, the the one that comes to my mind, and this is Adam, this is near and dear to our hearts as we talk about it all the time, is the idea of like three D assets and three D branded assets. Um, how does that start to play even like a bigger role into how brands even like make their creative right? Like this could be a very interesting way to reduce production costs and make infinite number of creative iterations uh, for for brands and advertisers. Yeah, we've been talking about this idea of a 3D asset pack for a long time now. Um, I think a lot of brands are, are starting on that journey of, uh, of making their, their, their 3D assets more available for, for use. Um, that's just going to accelerate. The sort of creativity in this space is exploding. You have, uh, you know, people, you have platforms like Snapchat doing it in AR. You have Roblox actually enabling millions of dollars of user generated, uh, content to be created and sold inside of their platform. Um, users creating, you know, millions of, of, of mini games inside of Roblox blocks every year. Um, there's a lot of increasing opportunities for brands to activate inside these spaces uh, by by developing those uh, those those 3D assets and getting them out there for users to engage with. Um, and that that engagement is just going to increase as more and more platforms start to experiment with with sort of three dimensional interfaces. The other takeaway for brands is that gaming is a new channel. It's a new social space. Uh, you can consider it uh, perhaps as part of your uh, your your social strategy, um, but it's also probably worth considering as its own thing. Uh, it's kind of it does it does need a a strategy that is uh, unique to the space. We know gamers yep. are very uh, are very they bristle Vocal. a little bit when brands come in <laughs> and they don't really know what they're doing. The gaming audience has expanded so much and is so. Uh, close to the mainstream audience uh, at this point that uh, I think, you know, it should be easy to find folks on your team who are invested in the gaming space and, and understand it and can help you navigate it. But obviously we're here to help with that as well. Um, and uh, it, it does take some, some uh, special knowledge, like, like social did and, and, and does, I think mm-hmm. um, it, it is, it is another thing that is a little bit of a specialty inside of uh, the broader marketing space. Adam. Fantastic brand takeaways. So this is going to wrap up this week's episode, part one of our Outlook 2021 special. Uh, But what can our listeners be in store for next week, Adam? I believe we have two more trends uh, to discuss. Yeah, so these two trends, I think we're on the definitely on the forward momentum side of things. The next two trends we're going to talk about are uh, the the flip side of that, the reaction to uh, that uh, forward momentum, um, and that will we will be discussing. Welcome to the Splinternet uh, with its global implications and uh, the reinvention of social context and uh, everything that is changing with how we uh, think about uh, about socializing online. 
That is going to wrap up this week's episode of Floor 9. We'll be dropping a link to the Outlook in our show notes, so definitely go check that out. Or you can go to our Medium blog and read it there. Uh, additionally, if you're looking to uh, ask questions, feel free to find myself and Adam on Twitter. I am at T-I-P-P-I-E-R, and Adam is at Adam J. Simon. Uh, just drop us a question. So thank you all. We'll be back next week for part two of Outlook 2021 Forward Momentum. Forward Momentum.